As we transition into a series that's going to lead us up to Easter and lead us into Easter, you can look with me at Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to dive right in this morning. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I know that uh, everybody doesn't have that version, but that's okay. That's why we put it in your notes and on the screen and in our app and on our website and everywhere else for you to follow along. Look with me with verse 25 Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. And Jesus prayed a lot, but this is a specific prayer at a specific time. Look what he says. He says, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. That seems like a little bit of a sarcastic prayer to me. Maybe I get it from Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And for revealing them, highlight that word, underlined it there in your notes, do whatever you want to do to emphasize the word revealing, and revealing them to the childlike. Verse 26, yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. He's praying this in front of his disciples. He wants us to hear this. The Bible continues, verse 27, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son. Watch this. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. There's that word again. Verse 28, then Jesus said, who does God choose to reveal him? Well, this is a continual thought. I don't believe that this verse means that God only chooses some people to reveal some things. I believe that Jesus is about to tell us who he is willing to reveal these things to. He sandwiched the revelation between two ideas, right? He showed us in the first half a certain group of people that he reveals them to. He shows us at the end who he's choosing. Watch what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take, take my yoke. Listen, it doesn't mean he's going to take the yoke off. It means he's going to trade. He's going to trade your temporary, non-eternal, unworthy yoke for one that exceeds your own life. He's going to place a new one on you, and the one that he has is going to be better than the one you've been carrying because it's going to serve a bigger purpose than the one that you've been trying to tote around that's only going to out, that will never, will never outlive you. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. It doesn't mean you get to be lazy and not do anything on behalf of the kingdom of God or you're entitled and, and you don't ever have to invest. That's not what it means. It means that even in the midst of doing all of those things, you'd be like Jesus asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm while everybody else is freaking out over gas prices. We know, shut up, they're high. Sorry, I just had to get that out. We got it, verse 30. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. 
as we began to anticipate the largest Easter gathering that we've ever seen as a church, as we began to anticipate the largest harvest of souls and people receiving salvation and giving their lives to Jesus and never taking it back again, we want to invite you to anticipate that with us. Why would we anticipate that? Because that's what we're asking. When I ask my heavenly father something in the name of Jesus, I expect him to do it. Under some certain pretexts, like um, for his glory, according to his will, not to spin on my own selfish motive. Those are important things. I've addressed that before. But sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that God's going to do something, and he's waiting for us to ask so that he can do it. I don't just do things for my children at times without them asking. I mean, I provide for them. I take care of them. But if they want something, then they have to come to me. And we used to say this all the time. Even as toddlers, they'd go, uh. And we'd say, hey, use your words. Use your words. Even if they didn't even know their words yet. Or we'd make a motion, say, say thank you. I was like, babe, I don't think that's what that meant. She's like, oh, never mind. Never, that's, a different, that's a different sign. Never, I forgot. We have to ask. And, and when we ask, I believe it's okay to expect. Now, I don't ever hold God accountable because I may be asking for something and he wants to do something else. But I'm asking you and then I expect. If you call this place home, there's a sign outside on that table. It says, see you next week. Don't come alone. See you next week. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody. Go get them on Sunday morning. We are inviting you to invite others as we prepare for Resurrection Weekend, beginning with Good Friday services and going all the way through four services of Resurrection Sunday. We're inviting you. Why? Because we're going to spend some money in advertisement that we budgeted for the year. We're going to have our big sign. It's going to look something like this. It's going to be downtown, and it'll be flashing, you know, every third deal. It's going to be up there for three weeks, and, and we've bought these cards, and we're going to uh, uh, hand them out to everybody that we can, and, and we're going to promote on social media, and we, we pay for these things, and we advertise these things, and, and we even talk to people that God puts in our path and, and try to invite them if they don't already have a church home. We're not trying to steal sheep. But if they're in a dry, barren field, we'll come over to this place and give them some grass. Come on, somebody. And we just, we just invite people. We just invite people. Why? Because 80% of people do not come to church because they saw an advertisement on a billboard. Although we're going to do that because we want people to know. 80% of people do not come to church because they see one of these at a restaurant, although we, we want you to take them. If you own a business, put them on your countertop. Um, this one's a little weird. It's just to spark curiosity. Like This is a, this is a, gen, uh, a gen Z and millennial thing. Like you just, I got to know what that QR code is. I just got to see, and it takes you to our website. These, I wanted to put, uh, because I saw another invite from another church, and I'm Henri. It said, what are you doing this Sunday? 
And I wanted to print a card that said, come to New Hope. I was going to go put it right underneath <laughs> That's messed up. How funny is that? We should have done it. They wouldn't let me. But we want you to take these cards. Um, by they, I mean my wife. Uh, we want you to take these cards because statistically, according to Barna Research, 80% of the people that are in church today are in church because they were invited. Not because they saw a cool website or a YouTube channel or, or just a Facebook uh, post or story or service, but because, because somebody that was already there invited them, like Andrew invited Simon Peter, to reveal, according to dictionary.com, it's a verb, it means to make previously unknown or secret information known to others. To make previously unknown or secret information known to others. Uh, my friend, Coach Alan Argain at um, LSUE, assistant coach for several years, national championship team there, um, he likes to say that people don't know what they don't know. Students, a new class every year, right? Students at LSUE, they don't know what they don't know. And unless we as leaders and, and we as people of influence, we let them know, then how, how could they? The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 10, um, how can they hear unless somebody preach, unless somebody tell them? I like the Merriam-Webster. I thought this was cool. Merriam-Webster actually says, uh, to make known through divine inspiration, I mean, even secular society defines reveal or revealed as making known through divine inspiration. I believe that there are things that God wants to make known to others, and he wants to make them known through us, people that say we believe and know these things. This year at Easter, we're going to do something that we've never done before, um, we're going to receive for the first time in the history of the church that I know of what we're referring to as a legacy offering. We've received offerings for other ministries. We've received offerings for water wells. We've received offerings for um, recovery homes and, and ministries that, that we just receive and then send it right back out. And, and I, without, without any shame, this Easter, I'm going to invite you to prepare your family, your finances, and even budget to receive a legacy offering that goes as a heart for this house, for the building project that we've been talking about for several years. And for some reason, God, on top of the building project that we've been saving and budgeting and planning for, uh, God wanted to start a school. And we have 53 students and over 40 applications for next year. And we don't have anywhere to put them. So we thought we were just clearing land beside the gully to make it look better. But God, I believe at this point, God wants to build a building. And we believe that we need to give the church an opportunity to give and to leave a legacy because anybody can make a mark with their lives, but I don't want to just make a mark with my life. I want to leave a legacy that outlives me. I'm not asking you this Easter to break the bank or to put yourself into a position of financial burden. I'm just asking you to ask the Lord, how can we give 
in a legacy fund, in a legacy offering. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I may not mention it again until Easter, we need $350,000 to build three classrooms to house the extra students and to not have to turn away children and families because we don't have enough room to put them and hire more teachers and equip them for what God has called them to do. So we're going to give the church an opportunity to give. A pastor who is very popular these days, I just happened to catch a little snippet of a series that he's going into. His name is Mike Todd, Michael Todd. Um, a lot of people watch him. I, I tend not to watch the most popular pastors because uh, everybody else watches them. And when I listen to somebody that preaches something that I like, I'm really, really tempted to want to share it with the people that I like. And so I try not to do those things. But I watched this little clip, and he's going into this series. And he said, so often, we as God's people, we get stuck on two ends of the spectrum, Right, You hear this idea, and it's a little bit offensive, to be totally honest, because it doesn't always work out that way. You hear this idea of this prosperity gospel. It's that give to get, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I mean, I've heard things like if you want a new car, you got to lay hands on that new car. If you want your miracle, you got to sow your $1,000 seed. It's this, it's this excess of a very biblical principle like reaping and sowing. And I actually do give and believe that God is going to return 10, 60, and 100 fold to that which I give. But that's not why I give it. But on the other end is this poverty gospel and this poverty mentality. Well, Pastor, I don't know if you know, but I mean, the average income of Eunice is only $30,000. Pastor, I don't know if you know, but, but gas prices are higher than they've ever been. Pastor, I, I don't know if you know, but, but people just don't make what they used to make. I mean, these aren't the good old days right now. These are the hard times. I think at the same time, if we're not careful, we can get stuck in a demonic poverty mentality where we think the kingdom of God is subject to the resource of man. And if we're not careful, we will get stuck over here and we'll make a God out of money thinking we don't have enough and not being able and willing to steward it properly by giving it and spending it and doing what God's called us to do. I'm not for the prosperity gospel because God may call you to give everything that you have, put you in a church parsonage, and have you drive a cargo van. But God might not tell you to give anything but the tithe that you don't rob for him for the rest of your life. You may end up with nothing or you may end up with everything. I agree with Pastor Mike Todd. I believe in the gospel of purpose. If God makes you a millionaire, it's because he wants to use you for his purpose. If he takes you back to rags, it's because he wants to use you. So if you live in off of social security or you live in off a check in the mail that's recurring income that you don't even have to do anything for, I'm telling you that God has a purpose for you and your job and your gifting and your talent and your ability and he wants to take everything that you have and leave a legacy that outlives you. It's the gospel of purpose. Pastor Philip D. said it this way, we don't give out of the depths of our pockets. We give from the depths of our heart. 
We give from the depths of our heart. If you're taking notes, write this down with me, please. Number one, I believe that in order to reveal, God requires a posture. God requires a posture to reveal. Matthew eleven twenty five. We read it a minute ago. I just want to reiterate it. Jesus said, Father, I thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Did you know that some people will never experience what God had for them? Some people will never hear what God wanted to share with them because they're too wrapped up in themselves. They're too focused on me and mine. They're too absorbed in their own righteousness and in their own riches. Some people will never learn what God, have you ever met somebody, it just seems like it don't matter what happened to, they just don't learn? Just makes you wanna shake the stupid out of them, doesn't it? And I, feel, I don't know why, I don't know how God doesn't come down. Some, I don't know how he hadn't done it to me. You know, I mean, I didn't ever, I didn't understand these people that had children, how you could shake a kid. Now I have three, and I don't understand how people don't shake a kid. There's been times where I'm like, Lord, this is only you that caused me not to lay hands on this boy, girl. Thank you for hiding these things from the wise and the clever, but watch this but revealing them to the childlike. Isn't it sad, even a little bit scary, that God, God will not ever be able to reveal, that some people will never see what God has for them? I think if, if it were me, if I were you today, I would, I would make an evaluation. Lord, Lord, am I seeing everything that you have for me? Am I listening? Am I hearing? Am I learning everything that you want me to learn? Am I accomplishing what you want me to accomplish? Remember the rich young ruler and all that Jesus, that's the 13th disciple that never was. And he walked away sad because he, he was focused on all his stuff. It's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than a camel to go through the eye of the knee. That's how we get stuck on that poverty gospel. Because we confuse having money with the love of money. And what we're supposed to do with it when God gives it to us. God requires a posture. I made a mistake not too long ago. I was driving down the road and I have this, this stream light in my truck and I shined it in the ditch, and I said, Gabriel, look at that bullfrog. Big bull, I mean, big old fat-headed bullfrog. And then I, once we got to the house, I came down, and I, and I spotlighted one of them, and I got real close, and I grabbed him. And I was like, look at this bullfrog. Like, we didn't keep him. I didn't feel like cleaning one bullfrog. That doesn't make a meal. That just irritate me. And, so I, and then I, I threw him back, and since then, my son is obsessed He's caught, he's caught four or five of them. He'll run up. It's hilarious to watch him in his boots. They're too big for him. He runs over there on his boots. He will dive in the ditch if I let him trying to get that bullfrog. I don't know what we're going to do when snakes come back out. But he will dive in the, he's grabbed a couple of them and he missed one really big one. 
not too long ago. It was right in the, underneath the water, and he grabbed right beside it, and it got away. And said, oh, oh. He was so upset, man. He was so upset. I had to calm him down. And so now, every day, Daddy, is it warm enough for the sun? It's 27 degrees outside. It's, I don't know. It's March, I know, but it's 27 degrees. It, we can't, we can't, the bullfrogs, they're hiding, man. They're hiding. He's obsessed. One night I was coming, we were coming back to the house and, and he had called a couple and missed a big one and, and I was spotlighting. Somebody was with us, I was spotlighting. I was like, look, there's one right there in our ditch. Where? I said, son, he's right there. That bullfrog was turned sideways. He only had one eye. I was looking for his eye and I could see his eye reflecting back at me. Now you gotta be careful looking for eyes because loggerhead turtles have eyes too and I almost grabbed one of those not too long ago. That would be a mistake that you would not soon forget. But I saw that bullfrog, I said, dude, he's right there. You can't see that frog. He goes, where, daddy, where? And the person that was with us, I believe it was Will, he goes, he, he's not in the right position. He's got the wrong angle. He can't see it. He's, not, he's gotta get behind you. And so I moved Gabriel back into the position that he needed to be in, or the posture, the perspective that the father needed the son to see from. And then all of a, of a sudden, what was right there in front of him, come on somebody, what he could not see before, because he repositioned himself, he postured himself appropriately, he could now see what I wanted to show him. Let me show you this picture, this cartoon. I, th I thought this illustrated my point pretty well. Sometimes we're just looking from the wrong perspective. And, and we just, sometimes we just need to switch places with, with our coworker to really understand. Sometimes, sometimes we need to switch places with our spouse to really understand. We need to stop seeking to be understood all the time. We need to stop trying to be right and letting everybody know how irritated we are. And we need to start seeking counsel and seeking the advice of others or trying, trying to see from the perspective of somebody that's not standing where we are. That just to, Listen, I'm concerned about people that only surround themselves with other people that agree with them. That's what Vladimir Putin does. He only surrounds himself with people that agree with him. Dictators surround themselves with people that agree with them. Leaders surround themselves with people that they can learn from. There's a difference between being a leader on the behalf of the kingdom of God and being a tyrant on behalf of the kingdom of the enemy. Let me say it this way. If we want God to reveal something to us, no matter the age, no matter the experience, by the way, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you're getting better. No offense. Just because you have some experiences doesn't mean that you learned anything from it. I know a lot of people that the older they get, the worse they get. Come on, but I know a lot of people, the elder they become, the more wise they become. And I know some senior saints that are still doing some incredible things for the kingdom of God because they're willing to learn new things every year whether they like it or not. Because they're still just as interested in reaching a teenager as they are reaching their neighbor across the street. It's not about them. It's about everybody around them. 
They're willing to learn at every level. They're willing to learn from a 15-year-old, a 50-year-old, or a 95-year-old. It doesn't matter. They just want to learn. The posture of God revealing something to us will not be found with a fist in the air or a finger in the face. That's the wrong posture. The posture of what God wants to show us will not be with a look at me, chest poked out attitude. The posture of what God wants to reveal out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever tried to tell somebody something or show somebody something and the whole time you're trying to talk to them, all they do is say, I know. No, you don't know. If you knew, I wouldn't be saying what you think you know. In fact, if you ever hear yourself say, yeah, 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 or I know, I know, you have officially positioned yourself outside of the perspective that the Father wanted to teach you something. Whether it's from our children, our friend, or our elder. When God puts somebody in your path, you need to remember that he may be showing you a perspective that you don't already know. So the revelation of God will not be found like this, and it will not be found like this. The revelation of God will not be found like this. The revelation of God, watch this. It looks like this. God, I don't know. I will listen to anybody that you send. I just want you to show me what you have for me to do. Reveal to me as I humble myself, childlike humility to learn what the Father wants to say. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, God blesses those who are humble. The original translation from Latin to English, blessed, blessed are the meek. I just like the word humble. God blesses those who are humble. For they, I, I love, they will inherit the, the whole earth. Remember the verse, the whole earth is full of his glory. There's some parts of the earth that are not full of his glory, but the whole earth is full of his glory. It's not that I just receive a revelation of how I could fix the economy, my God. It's not just a revelation of what I would do differently if I were in this place or if I were in that place or if I had a private meeting with the pastor or the politician or the political leader. It's that God blesses those who are humble. I close with this, my second point this morning. As God requires a posture to reveal, I believe that God requires a person to reveal. 80% of the people currently attending church today are there because of a person. Let me show you Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus said, my father has entrusted everything to me. Jesus, 
the person. My friend and mentor, Pastor Johnny Hunt, Jesus was the only 200% man. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. If you see him, you see the Father, and yet he was tempted in every way but without sin. God incarnate. God, God in person. And Jesus said, no one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. I believe that the Father sent the Son, according to 1 John chapter 4, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. See, God sent Himself in person because revelation requires people. What God wants to do is going to reveal through a person. And the Father sent the Son. And, and John continues and says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in the Father and the Father abides in Him. By the way, that's not a one-time confession. Bump your neighbor, tell him that takes more than once. Whoever confesses the Son, the Father abides in Him and, and He abides in the Father. That's good news. Come on. That means every time you confess Jesus, God is with you. It doesn't matter where you are. Who you are is de not determined by what's going on around you. Come on. I'm trying to talk to the church for a minute this morning. What's happening in society shouldn't determine how you post on social media. What's going on around you shouldn't determine how you behave or how you respond. Nothing changes for the follower of Jesus. No matter how much changes around you, something is still happening that only God has control of inside of you if you have humbled yourself as a childlike learner. God sent the Son. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John 15, 26, this one's in your notes. I will send you the advocate. Come on, that's good news. So God sent the Son in person. And then Jesus is going to send the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus says, I'll send you another comforter, another Helper, another advocate, a paracletos, one, one likened unto myself who will come alongside of you. So God sent the Son in person, and the Son sent the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Quickly, the, the Holy Spirit has three jobs according to Jesus. The Bible says... He will guide into all truth. How many of you know that we need a revelation of truth truth in this society? Okay, good. Five of y'all are with me at 7.30 this morning. How many of you know we need a revelation of truth in this society? 
because the world is feeding them a spoonful of partial truths and making it look really close to what God actually intended in the beginning. And until we rise up, oh, I got to preach it just a little, until we rise up as spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers for the next generation and the now generation, we can't complain that society does a better job investing in the next generation than the sons and daughters that are already in the house. We can't get lazy in the last days. We've got to rise up and be the answer that they are looking for. Because there's a philosophy professor just waiting to get a hold of my teenagers. And I got them now. And I've got a church full of people. And we have a now opportunity. But we've got to stop focusing on ourselves and just our own. And we've got to build a legacy that outlives us. He will guide us into all truth. Jesus said, he will remind you of the things that I have said. And then I love this. And he will declare. Somebody say declare. He will declare the things that are to come. I know the one that remembers everything and knows everything about where I am and where I'm going. Why should I worry? Why should I allow what's happening all over the nation and around the world to disturb what God is doing within my heart? The Father will testify. He'll send him. He'll come from the Father and he will testify all about me. We want to we leave here today and we want to invest in the next that they would know the truth and make it known. John 13, 34, verse 36, he says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove. That word is gnosko. It means to come to know or to recognize, to reveal or to perceive. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know why the world doesn't recognize faith and authentic faith anymore? Because at some point, the church has not been authentically faithful. And what's happening in society, hear me, is always an excess of what is being allowed by the people of God. Truly allowed. What the people of God do in moderation, the culture and the world will do in excess. That's why it's so important that we hear from the Holy Spirit. And we are a living example of His love for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, not in your notes. The Bible says that God revealed these things to us by His Spirit. The carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. But, but God revealed these things to us by His Spirit. And then Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Where? At home? Jerusalem. To the people that you didn't even really want to be in relationship with, Samaria. 
the outskirts of your community, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, all over the world. That's why I've stopped just, I've just stopped apologizing for giving opportunities to, to give and show everybody the need that I think about constantly. And I never, I never personally have the ability to go out and make enough money to support. Somebody asked me last week, do you have, do you have people in your church that can build that building? Do you got somebody in there that can give that? And I said, I don't know. I got a church full of people I think can. We got a community full of people that I believe can. See, I believe God will send resource to be the provision for the vision that he gives. And it's not up to me to make my finances try to meet his, or my vision try to meet my current finances. It's up to me to believe him to make the finances meet his future vision. The father, I close with this, sent the son. The son sent the spirit. And the spirit is sending us. It's our job. See, we look at the Old Testament and we go, man, if God would have parted the Red Sea for me, I wouldn't have started asking for onions and leeks like the Israelites. Man, if I saw a cloud by day and a fire by night, man, if I saw the fire of God come down and consume the altar like the people on Mount Carmel, Man, if I were Peter, James, and John, and I saw Moses and Elijah come down and talk with Jesus, I mean, if I could have walked with Jesus for three years, and I believe, hear me, I believe that the people in heaven, the cloud of witnesses that the author of Hebrews says we're surrounded by, I believe that they're looking down from heaven going, man, if, if we had the Holy Spirit, if we had that power, if we had social media the way that they have, if we had technology the way that they have, if we had the resource, I'm trying to catch fish. Paul's like, I'm trying to build tents to build a church. They live in homes that are quadruple the size and the cost of my tents. Paul's looking down going, if I had the resource of Louisianians, I would have already reached everybody on the globe and Jesus would already come back. The fullness of the Holy Ghost and the resource of the last days, this deal would already be done. But we're just as focused on the temporary as the people that we complain about. I need you to remember as I close this morning that Moses doesn't have to go up on the mountain for us anymore. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. I came to rebuke the idea that you need somebody else to go to Jesus for you. That's why Jesus came to you. He didn't come to you so you could send somebody else to go for you. He came to, oh, let me just keep showing you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us, who? Anybody who comes. Jesus said, come to me, ye who are 
are weary and heavy laden. These are the ones that I'm choosing. Who is God choosing? Whoever will come, whoever will call, to whomsoever shall call. That's what the Word of God says. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and that we may find good. And nobody can receive mercy and find grace for you. You got to approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace that will help us in our time of need. I need God to be the resource for the vision that he has given me for this community and the state of Louisiana. But until I approach the throne of grace with boldness and find and receive the mercy and the grace that I need from him, then I'm going to continue to think that I rely on an earthly economy instead of kingdom provision. Romans chapter 8 verse 32, the Bible says, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely reveal, freely give, freely make known to us all things? Let me close with this. Because you don't need a pastor. You don't need a prophet. You don't need a priest to go into the holy of holies. You just need Jesus. You need confidence and you need boldness to approach Jesus. I'm praying after this verse, Ephesians 3, 18. For through him, I'm talking about being revealed. Come on, I'm excited about Easter. Not because I just want a bunch of numbers. Oh, we've already had the numbers. Because I, I know that every number represents a soul. And somebody's coming to Easter this year. Like I came to Easter in 2006. 2006 needing somebody like you. To lead me into the presence of God. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, this is why I don't think you need a pastor, a prophet, or a priest. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So you don't have to ask a dead saint to go into the room and ask Jesus for anything. Because Paul said, you're fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, even right here on earth, you have, the, you have the same access to the throne room of God that Abraham has. You have the same access, dare I say, in this culture even. You have the same access to the throne room of God that Mary has. Because the only reason that Abraham has access and the only reason that Mary has access and the only reason that Peter, James, John, and Paul have access is because Jesus said, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. I will reveal to the childlike, and I'll make them fellow citizens with the saints and members. I don't need your social club. I don't 
don't need your economy. I'm a member of the household of God. Revealed.